Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with pediatric neuropsychologist, Dr. Joseph Cleary. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology Center for Brain Health, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraine. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I'm a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. Today, my guest is Dr. Joseph Cleary, and Dr. Cleary is a pediatric neuropsychologist at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital. He is a graduate of Widener University, where he earned his master's and doctoral degrees in clinical psychology with specialties in neuropsychology and school psychology. Dr. Cleary completed his internship training at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania and the Center for Neurological and Developmental Health. Currently, Dr. Cleary provides comprehensive neuropsychological assessments for children with chronic medical conditions specializing in acquired brain injuries. Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital provides family-focused integrated care to children with serious, chronic, or complex medical needs. Since 1922, the hospital has helped children heal from illness and injury and now treats nearly 9,000 patients each year. The 102-bed hospital is a jointly owned affiliate of the University of Maryland Medical System and Johns Hopkins Medicine and has locations in Baltimore City, Prince George's County, and the community. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cleary. I'm so happy to have you here today. Hi, thanks for having me. This is great. Absolutely. So, Dr. Cleary, I think I would love for you to share with our listeners um, just a little bit of your background and what got you interested in neuropsychology and um, working with brain injury patients. Sure. So, it kind of happened at the same time. So, as an undergrad, I had a great uh, opportunity to work with a neuropsychologist in Philadelphia, Mary Lazar. And I got to watch her work and watch the neuropsych, pro- or the neuropsych process and how she's interacting with patients. Um, and I was really just fascinated by the whole thing. And I really love that, you know, when interacting with the patient, the neuropsychologist had to be flexible and curious and, you know, inventive and empathetic at the same time. And then there's this ability to be a lifelong, you know, learner, which was really, you know, fascinating and interesting to me. Um, TBI interest kind of came at the same time just because neuropsychology is 
really relate it to TBIs. There's a lot of work. Um, there's a lot of um, aspects of the TBI that uh, relate to neuropsychological functioning. And so they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and so my interest in neuropsych and TBI happened together many, many years ago, um, even before I started uh, grad school. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how many people I meet who have some sort of psychology degree, and I never even knew it. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but I know it's a topic that's fascinating um, for a lot of reasons. Um, so you, I, I had the opportunity of meeting you when I was out in Baltimore, I believe it was September. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed our conversation and your take on the neuropsych exam. And so I was really excited to have you be part of the podcast because I think the neuropsych exam is so misunderstood and um, it's, it's often a requirement, especially if someone is um, an adult, if they are trying to get like on disability or some sort of settlement, mm -hmm. um, it's often a requirement. And I know your experience is mostly with children, but I think, you know, everything kind of applies across the board. Um, sure. So maybe just giving us a really like cliff notes version of what <laughs> is a neuropsych exam, <laughs> if that's possible. Sure. sure. <laughs> and yeah, so I can give you a brief kind of overview, and this is, it's good to shed light on this, just because even when people are referred and they're sitting in my office, um, they're referred by maybe the neurologist or a psychologist or PTOT, um, a lot of times they don't know what the neuropsych is or what to expect, right? So the neuropsych um, specialty is a subspecialty of psychologists. And we'll t I can talk a little bit later about this, about um, how it's a subspecialty, but the important aspect of that is that just know that your neuropsychologist is first and foremost a psychologist, right? Right. Um, and we have training in brain behavior relationships. And so um, it's really training in the behavioral expression of brain dysfunction, right? And so neuropsychology in itself, um, you know, is popular now and um, there's a, you know, a, there's a boom in the field, um, but it's really kind of an old field and really even going back um, even to the building of the pyramids, you know, um, documentation of brain injuries. Um, and, you know, even in world wars, there's documentations of brain injuries. So the actual practice of neuropsychology is quite old. Um, and now kind of out, as it stands today, there's multiple purpose um, of the eval. So the first purpose is diagnosis. And so help distinguishing between psychiatric issues and neurological issues or helping sesh out a complex cognitive profile. Uh, other purposes of a neuropsych are for treatment planning. Um, and so um, what's the most appropriate treatment um, for this individual based on their strengths and weaknesses? Um, what is the best form of psychotherapy for this patient based on emotional symptoms? Um, and then kind of on the flip side, is treatment working? Um, and so reevals can help with understanding if a certain approach is effective or not. Okay. Um, there's other purposes of the neuropsych eval that are, you know, apply less to what I actually do, like forensic work and, and research. Um, however, the, the, globally, the neuropsych is diagnostic by nature. 
So really fully understanding the cognitive profile and then providing recommendations based on that profile. So how do we compensate for weaknesses based on strengths? And, you know, I know I had my neuropsych exam done, I believe it was like 15 months after my injury, somewhere 15, 16. Um, and, you know, I don't think, not everyone always realizes it's like, I think mine was like four hours long. It's a long, um, it's an interactive test, I guess you could say, like um, someone's administering a lot of it and timing you. Um, and I guess, I was kind of caught off guard by all the things I would have to do on the time. Sure. And I remember, sure. um, I remember so clearly there was like this one portion of the test where you have like these little, they're kind of like blocks or dice or whatever. And they show you a picture and you have two minutes to turn to make the blocks, make that picture. And that was so hard. Like I couldn't even do it. And I remember just like crying because it was just like, oh my God, why can't I do this? Sure. <laughs> and so, so the, you really kind of have to face some of your deficits during the exam. And, you know, that, that can pull up a whole lot of emotion with it. Sure. And so that's where it's really important to do almost kind of this therapeutic neuropsych eval because people are faced with things that they can't do. The tests are designed to start off pretty easy and then get really difficult quickly. Um, and if someone, you know, is like, oh, my working memory is pretty good, um, and then you're actually doing it and you're realizing that you can't recall four digits in a row, that is a stark realization. And so there's a lot of emotion behind that. And so that's what's really important for the neuropsychologist and the patient to have a good rapport and trust, right? So for me, is it worth it to stop the test so I can keep rapport and the patient feels comfortable with testing, or do I push the limit? so I can um, inform treatment planning. So it's a de delicate balance, kind of like I was saying before, you have to be very flexible in your approach, which is mo more important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I shared with you when I was in Baltimore my experience um, that when I met with the neuropsychologist, I don't know, two weeks later, she went over my test results, and she was basically like, okay, you know, here's what's normal for someone your age with a college degree, and you scored mostly in the average category. However, in your short-term memory, you scored worse than a dementia patient. So I think maybe you weren't trying very hard. And it was just, like, devastating because, I mean, I tried so hard on that exam, and I had told her my memory was my, like, number one problem. I couldn't remember things. And sure. unfortunately, I hear this example over and over and over and over again. So do you have any advice for someone who is faced with a situation like this? I mean, she literally in my notes, it says that it's psychosomatic. Um, so, you know, like how, how do you combat that? Like, do you sure. find a different psychologist and have it done again? I mean, no one wants to do it twice. Um, you know, what, what advice would you have? So for that situation, um, it's <laughs> finding a good neuropsychologist. So, someone who's understanding that while the neuropsychologist is an expert in neuropsychology, the patient or the family are the experts on themselves. And so if you say that there's a memory issue and it's showing on testing, um, my job would be to find out exactly what's going on in memory. So is it an encoding issue? Is it a retrieval issue? Um, does it have to do really 
um, to do with uh, organization of material so you can retrieve it later. Does it have to do with attention? And so that's the, actually the point of the neuropsych. The point is if you see the deficit, then you test the deficit out so I can tell you exactly what's happening. And so then we can make recommendations for that. So experiences like that, I would say, have the report or have the testing reviewed by another neuropsychologist to see if there's any insights that maybe have been overlooked. Um, so a common thing is, you know, when someone says they have memory issues and then, you know, we'll test it out and it ends up that their memory is perfect, it's really not memory. It has to do with attention or executive functioning or something else. And um, being able to give that person that information is so worthwhile because then they can actually go to a treatment or um, adjust how they are kind of going about the day and, and kind of using that information to become more functional. Yeah, you know, shortly after my exam, um, I went to, we have what's called Learning RX here. I know that they're kind of a national chain, but I don't know if you have them in Baltimore. Um, but I did an assessment with them as well. And it's very much like a 45-minute version of the neuropsych exam. Like, it's a very, like, condensed version of it. And their test results came back, like, almost identical to my neuropsych. And I was telling him my experience, how I was told that my short-term memory was worse than dementia patient, I must be faking it. And he's like, oh my God, no. He's like, we see that all the time with brain injury patients. Sure. And this isn't even like a neuropsychologist. I, you know, he's, I don't yeah. even know what he actually is, the guy that runs the center. But he's like, we see this all the time. Like, this is so common. You know, your cognitive processing speed has slowed way down, therefore it's affecting your memory and you're not able to keep things in your memory and that's why you sort of have ADD symptoms is because your cognitive processing is so slow that you're you're not keeping up with the conversation, um, so you start, you know, getting shiny object syndrome <laughs> and, sure. then, and then you're not retaining it. And it was like, oh my gosh, that explains it, you know? Um, so fortunately I was able to get to somebody else who was able to um, explain it and kind of help me understand. Um, and I think that's so important for my listeners to understand is, you know, you're not crazy. <laughs> You've had a brain injury, you know, and unfortunately some people just don't understand brain injury and don't understand how the cognitive processing plays in with memory and, and ADD type symptoms. Um, you know, and you're not alone in this. Like, it's, and it's so scary. It is so scary when you're in the middle of it. Like, what is wrong with sure. me? Am I ever going to get simple memory back? Like, I would get lost driving home from Target that, that I literally go to all the time, right? Um, sure. Yeah. And so, so and this way, it, it, it's got to be more challenging with children. Or maybe it's easier, actually. I don't know. Um, it's it's probably a little bit of both, right? With with children, it's a, it's a little bit, um, you know, harder to get them to do treatment planning and fulfill treatment. Um, but they also have more time, and they have more time to recover over time. They have more opportunity to make new connections over time. So it's good and bad. Um, also with children, there's always this kind of sense of confusion. They don't really understand, you know, why they're having the evaluation at other times or why, you know, doing a puzzle um, is important. So education is really important from, you know, from the very beginning 
from the very first appointment. Um, and even that's education with parents and with families. And so it's really good to, even if you're testing a child, to have them come up with questions that they have for you. Maybe they want to know why they're not so great at math or they're really good at reading. And so to get them invested is really important at the start because they don't fully understand the concept. And, you know, and I think, too, it's important. So when I had my neuropsych exam done, I had already been seeing um, a psychologist for, gosh, maybe like five months. Um, and I had, he, he was fabulous. Like he understood chronic pain. He understood brain injury. And when I had the neuropsych exam done, she told me I needed to start being a therapist. I'm like, well, thank you. You know, I am seeing one. Um, sure. But I think the talk therapy is so important. And it's also important to find one who really does understand brain injury. Um, Cause you know, it helps you kind of work through some of the, you know, like, like I didn't realize I was having PTSD when we started getting ice again, I was like terrified to go outside. Right. And like, I didn't even make the connection at first. He was the one that helped me make that connection. Um, But it's so important, I think, to walk, to talk through our feelings and these crazy emotions and, and, you know, like I didn't have any of the anger and the rage, but I know some patients, you know, depends on the part of the brain that you injure. And um, some sure. patients have really weird rage problems and, sure. you know, like the ADD type problems. Um, sure. And I, you know, I just, can you, can you talk to that a little bit more? I just, I, you know, so many people are scared to go, a therapist because they think they're going to slap a label on them. (laughs) Um, So if you could talk to that a little bit, that would be great. So seeing a therapist or psychologist early on is paramount. Um, Even before sometimes the patient's fully aware of limitations, um, it's good to get into therapy and to adjust to the new sense of self, right? Because in this whole process, there's a mourning process. There's a mourning of the person yeah. that I was, right? Um, and so maybe things that were really, really easy before for, like, using a stove are com- so confusing. And the awareness is there that it's confusing. And then that creates increased risk for depression and anxiety, right? So that ne- you, when someone has a traumatic brain injury, the earlier the better with psychology, because they can help guide you through the process um, of recovery and help guide you through the process of instilling kind of this sense of hope and that there's always recovery and recovery is never ending. So there's always going to be that light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I'm still seeing the same psychologist and he recently told me, um, cause I've seen great strides in the past year in my recovery. Um, but he was telling me the first time he met with me, he's like, I honestly didn't know if you were going to get better. He's like, I thought I was like a 50, 50. And, and like, you know, looking back, I can see how severe some of my symptoms were, but when you're in it, you don't necessarily realize it. I mean, you do, but you don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, he, he told me how one of the first visits I came in and his name was Dr. Bob. And I was like, Bob, Bob, hi. And he's like, I was transposing my words. Like you should naturally say hi, Bob. Right. And he was like, Oh boy. (laughs) And, And I just remember, I can still vividly remember sitting in his office and I mean, now I can talk pretty quickly. Right. And back then it was like, 
all those pauses because I was trying to come up with the words and putting my sentence together. And, um, yeah. you know, when you're able to yeah. look back when you're on the other side of it, it's pretty cool. But it's, yeah. The recovery process is amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, especially, you know, being a, you know, a rehab hospital, we can see kids coming in in comas and then see them walking out, um, in a matter of yeah. months. It's a really amazing process. Um, and it's also important to note that it's a lifelong process. You will continue to get better. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are your thoughts, too? Like, so, you know, you said it's a lifelong process and you continue to get better. But I think it's also important to remember it's always part of you, too, right? Like, sure. you know, like, I'd, I'd, like not to be fearful of it, but to just be aware that, you know, you this is something that's happened to you and um, it's, it's going to be with you forever. And even if you're feeling really great, it's still a part of you. And I think, I think sometimes that people try too hard to forget about it. Um, and, you know, sometimes embracing it can be more, um, comforting. If that makes, am I making sense? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's really important to understand that it's an aspect of yourself. And, you know, even at the hospital, we'll have, um, kids, um, put together presentations for when they go back to school, right, to describe what the brain injury and what happened to them if they feel comfortable. Because it is a really important um, process of recovery is to identify that this is a part of you um, and how do we work to kind of get to the potential where I want to be or get to, you know, if I want to do this in my life, how do I get there? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, too, just knowing – what am I trying to say? So, you know, for instance, um, I know someone who had been in a couple car accidents, never was, you know, diagnosed with a concussion or a brain injury. And then they took a pretty simple looking hit playing soccer and they put him in a coma. And sure. the doctors were like baffled, right? And it's like, how do you know, how did they not put two and two together? Oh, he's been in like three car accidents. Um, maybe he's had a couple of brain injuries, right? And so, sure. you know, I, I just think I, I lost my train of thought. I, I had a point there and I lost so, it. <laughs> so it actually um, happens a lot where we'll see yeah. patients come in and and they'll be in a car accident and there's no diagnosis of a brain injury. And, and you know, maybe the child, um, you know, something had really bad happened. They didn't have their seatbelt on. They went through the windshield and they come in without a brain injury diagnosis and we're so confused about it. And so right. now we take the parents back to step one and say, most likely your child has had a brain injury um, due to this, this, and this. And sometimes the parents are just kind of in awe that no one's told them before that it's very likely that there's a diffuse axonal brain injury. You know, and and thank you for for bringing up that point. Um, Your your hospital, you know, when I visited, I was just so impressed at your guys' knowledge of brain injury, you know, as a whole, the entire staff. And what you just said, you know, like, because um, uh, your hospital does not take, like, you're not an emergency room. So these kids have already been at a hospital before they come to you um, to recover, to go home. And so, you know, I, you're, you're so right. Oh, my God, they've been in a car accident that rolled. Um, they probably have a brain injury, right? And I think it gets so missed so often. And, um, you know, I think we're starting to shed some light on that. But as a parent or a loved one, I think it's really important to, you know, if someone you know has been in any sort of accident, 
to just kind of assess, oh, you know, they might have a brain injury. Maybe that's why they're forgetting things all the time, right? Yeah, whenever there's an injury that's like a, a jolt to the brain, always ask for an eval. So an orientation test is not going to cover it, right? So asking the child their name and where they are, right. uh, the brain is so much more complex than that. And so you have to test, you know, different functions out, especially functions that are really sensitive to brain injury. Um, and rather than say, you know, he knows his name, uh, he knows he's at a hospital, so there's no brain injury. Right, right. You know, what? what's the year, you know, who's president? Sure. Like, it only tells you so much. Yeah. Sure. Um, although I got all those questions wrong. <laughs> sure. I knew and, I wasn't okay, though. <laughs> I knew the sure. second I got up that I was like, oh, something's not okay here. Um, but not sure. everyone has that, right? It doesn't always present yeah. right some, away, some so. people pass that with flying, flying colors but then can't follow a three-step demand that PT is asking them to do. Um, mm-hmm. Or they're not comprehending everything that you're saying or they can't express everything that they're feeling. Um, but they can answer one-word question. You know, and that brings up a, a really good point, too, about um, I, I was in a seminar for healthcare professionals, and one of them was talking about noncompliance. And is it really noncompliant? Or is the patient really being noncompliant with, you know, their at-home exercises or taking sure. their medication or doing this or doing that? He's like, are they really being noncompliant or do they maybe have memory problems or are they suffering from apathy? You know, like there's, there's so many layers to a brain injury. And unfortunately, doc, you know, like a PT might get really frustrated. Oh, they're being noncompliant. They're not doing their stuff at home. Why should we bother? And it's like, well, but that's not really what's happening. <laughs> Sure. There's always a reason for the behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Dr. Cleary, is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure we talked about? We're getting down to the last five minutes here. Um, I guess concerning brain injury and the holiday season is um, just re- reminding people that overstimulation is a real thing. Yeah. Um, this is a really busy uh, season and um, – just making sure that we're taking care of our friends with TBIs during during this season or this holiday yeah. season. Yeah, and that's, that's such a great point. Overstimulation, um, we get fatigued real easily. You know, if we ask to take a nap, don't make fun of us. You know, like it's sure. a real thing. Like, you know, sometimes you just got to go lay down and get away from all the noise, especially, you know, like if you're with your family and there's like 15, 20 people in the room talking, that's like, that's re- that's still hard for me. Um, three and a half years out, I still struggle like when there's a room full of people talking. That can be really hard. Sure. I don't know which conversation to listen to, right? Like my brain just can't filter it. Um, and And I'm also going to add stay hydrated you know your brain is made up of water we need to keep hydrated and um, take care of yourself first you know and I know that's easier said than done but especially if you're a parent on top of having a brain injury you know you can't really take the best care of your kids if you're not functioning so really remember take care of yourself too yeah anything else we have a few more minutes um, you know, I, I just, I think the importance of the neuropsych exam and, and having a psychologist in your arsenal of doctors is so important. Sure. Um, you know, what are some questions to ask a psychologist when trying to sure. find one? I think, um, 
I think the most important thing to to ask actually a neuropsychologist in itself is how does this data that you're telling me about, like how does executive functioning relate to the real world, relate to what my daily life looks like? Because, you know, giving a patient or a patient's family uh, cognitive data about impairment is meaningless unless they can relate that and understand that in the context of their own life. And so while you're in your feedback session with the neuropsychologist that happens after the evaluation when they're reviewing everything, um, try to make it collaborative as possible. So um, if they're talking about working memory, um, ask questions, you know, is this related to working memory? Um, you know, is my, you know, missing my appointment related to memory or is it related to um, organizational issues? Because that's the whole point of the eval. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, you know, going back, you had said earlier about finding a neuropsychologist for the testing. Um, I know in my case, the doctor, the neurologist sent me to this particular person. So I didn't really have a choice in the matter, um, sure. you know, but uh, I think, you know, if you do have a choice or even just finding a psychologist to work with, you know, um, really digging. Don't just take the first one you find in the phone book, right? Um, right. So really digging, like, do they have experience yeah. working with brain injury? That's right. And so you can look through, um, you know, Psychology Today online and read profiles. You can look through different hospital systems. Um, most hospitals have neuropsychologists. Um, and you also, it's okay to call the neuropsychologist and call, talk to them prior to the appointment because that relationship between the neuropsychologist and the patient is really important for the testing day. Mm-hmm. So you have to find someone that you're really comfortable with. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Cleary, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to be on the podcast and to just really help enlighten some of our listeners. I think the the neuropsych exam is, it comes up over and over and over again in my Facebook group. So thank you so much for talking about it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you found today's episode very enlightening. I hope you got some golden nuggets from Dr. Cleary. And just a reminder, you can find any of the previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. You can also subscribe through iTunes so you don't miss any episodes. And just another thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And thank you so much again for listening. Thank you all for being a part of my journey. And I will see you guys all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.